Welcome to Theology on the Go, a brief interview podcast from placefortruth.org. Place for Truth is a website of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, which we'd encourage you to visit. After the podcast, listen for details on how you can receive free resources from the Alliance. We're delighted today to be joined by Professor Thomas Schreiner. He is the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation and Professor of Biblical Theology and Associate Dean of the School of Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're here to talk to him about a subject about which he's written uh, quite a bit, and that is the law. Dr. Schreiner is a is an expert on the New Testament in general and has written extensively on the law in particular. So. Dr. Schreiner, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Jonathan, it's great to be with you. So I want to start out with this question. When the New Testament uses the word law, is it referring to the law of Moses in the Old Testament, or is it being used in different ways in different places? How do we read our New Testament? Yeah, it, it doesn't have just one one meaning or usage or reference, we could say. I think it usually refers to the law of Moses in the Old Testament, but but it sometimes just means scripture as well. And and those scriptures, they can say law, it doesn't always refer to the five books of Moses. Say in 1 Corinthians 14, we have a citation from Isaiah, but that's that's not from the books of Moses. And then, this is more disputed, but I, I think in some instances that Paul for instance, uses the word law metaphorically to refer to a, a principle or a rule and an order. So, yeah, there's, there's more than one usage. We always have to look at the context. So in those cases where he uses it perhaps to, to refer to a principle, are those generally the cases that we associate with Paul's negative view of the law, or is it, is it more um, contoured than that? Yeah, it, it's, I think it's more contoured than that. Yes, he can refer to it as the, the, the principle, in my reading, of sin and death, but he can also say for the, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That, that's why some interpreters actually take both those usages to refer to the Mosaic law uh, used under the, the name of the spirit or the flesh. And that's certainly possible. That, it's a, that's a very tough issue, but I... But I think it's difficult to believe that Paul would think that the law of the Spirit, that is the Mosaic law, frees us. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I take it to be rule, order, and principle. For, that's one of my reasons, at least. Okay. What, what do you see as the purpose of the law, or what does the New Testament see as the purpose of the law, or the purposes of the law, in the Old Testament? What was the law for? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I think there are several purposes. I think the first thing I'd say is that Paul says in Romans seven twelve, the the law is is holy. The commandment is good and righteous and holy. So, one purpose of the law, I think, is to describe um, God's character, uh, in, especially in terms of the commands that were given. At least many of the commands they 
portray who God is. I think another purpose of the law in the Old Testament uh, is was to separate Israel uh, from the from the Gentiles. You know, so some of the laws, what we typically call the ceremonial law, even though that designation isn't used in the scriptures, but some of the laws clearly distinguish and segregate Israel from from the nations. They're not clear moral norms. Um, but then, but then, when we come to the New Testament, I think it's also clear from from Paul and other writing writers that the law also, and I think this is in the Old Testament as well, but the law exposes our sin. The law, the law shows that we fall short of God's demands, so that Paul can speak of the law imprisoning us even and and confining us under the power of sin. And and then and then, fourthly, I think the law, the law prophesies in terms of the law as a whole. Uh, it prophesies of Christ. It, it points us forward to Christ. There's a prophetic element of the law. It testifies uh, to Jesus Christ. And then and typically in reform circles, fifth, the law, the law also rightly interpreted. I think shows us how to live. It, it, it reveals to us what is pleasing to God. Of course, that's a complex area of what exactly that means, since we're not under the law. I want to return to something you, you said just a minute ago about a prophetic function of the law. What does it mean to say that Jesus fulfilled the law? The New Testament talks about Jesus as being the fulfillment of the law. How do, how do you think that should be interpreted? You know, I, well, I, I think that means that Jesus fulfilled uh, the, 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 the prophecies, of course, in the Old Testament. He is, if, if we open the New Testament right away, we see in the genealogy that he's the son of David, he's the son of Abraham. So if we, if we just look at the large structures, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus is the son of Abraham, he'll bring universal blessing. He's the son of David. He's the, he's the uh, promised king, the promised Messiah. He's the son of man. I'm using law here in terms of scripture. Mm-hmm. Right? He's the son of man of Daniel 7. He's the servant of the Lord of Isaiah 53. He, he is the means by which the new covenant, which I think is integrally related to the Abrahamic covenant, is fulfilled. So he, he's the prophet of Deuteronomy 18.15. He's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Perhaps I should have started there, where we have the, the promise of redemption through the offspring of the woman. So, so I think that when we speak of the fulfillment in terms of Christ, it's, we're, we're thinking fundamentally of the promises, which are, are, are all yes and amen, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, in Jesus Christ. The law points to Jesus in that way. And I think that's what Jesus has in mind in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Yes, it includes the commands, but those commands must be interpreted in light of the coming of, of Jesus Christ. I think some interpreters have made the mistake of just reading Matthew 5, 17 through 20, where Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. As if he's only saying, I've come to fulfill the specific commands that are being uh, given. But I think it's more than that. It, that. That would be one of those cases in in your understanding that, that 
where the law refers to the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures. Yeah, yes, I think so. Now, returning to the idea of the law being a guide for life, and I know you said it's complex, and so and so, uh, perhaps we don't have time to go into every detail of it, but in general, what um, does the law point us towards in terms of behavior? What positive aspect does it have in terms of giving us a guide for life? Yeah. I think the first thing I'd want to say, because I haven't really picked up on this yet, I I think the New Testament teaches we're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. We're no longer under what's sometimes called the Sinai Covenant. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the New Testament says we're not under the law. That period of of redemptive history is uh, is over. So um, since we're not under that covenant, there's a sense in which we're not under the Mosaic Law at all. But at least in my understanding, Paul can also speak positively of Christians fulfilling the law. And he'll even mention some of the commandments there. And, and, and I think there's a connection between the fulfillment of the law and what Paul calls in Galatians 6.2 and 1 Corinthians 9, I think it's verse 21, where Paul speaks of the law of Christ. So, so I think the, the law must be interpreted, this is back to what we were saying earlier, uh, in terms in terms of Jesus Christ, how, how do we know? How do we know for sure what commands of the law are still uh, required of Christians today? They were to fulfill today, so to speak. And and I I think the answer in one sense there's a lot of debates about this how to say it exactly. But in one sense the answer I think is somewhat simple an answer that almost all Christians would agree on, and that is the commands were to obey are clearly restated in the New Testament. So, so whatever you make of the Sabbath, there's debate amongst Christians on that. The other nine commandments are clearly restated in the New Testament. No, that's, that's a helpful um, way to frame it. Now, now, one final question, because I know that you also preach regularly. When you preach Old Testament law, how do you apply that to the church today? And maybe that's too broad, so maybe if you would like to narrow it down to a specific text that you have in mind. But how, how do you preach that? Because, as you say, the, the Mosaic Covenant is not something that Christians today live under. Yeah, I think that's a great question and so, so vital. When, when, we, when we preach from the Old Testament, we always must remember we're Christians. We must remember we live in the age of fulfillment. And, and again, I think the New Testament is our guide here. If I'm preaching from Leviticus, the first seven chapters of the sacrifices, I obviously don't preach that we need to offer animal sacrifices. I think this one's rather easy. I preach that the, those sacrifices point to the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ. But, again, we have the New Testament here. When we come to the the chapter 11 of Leviticus on the uh, food laws, isn't it interesting that Peter picks up that language of holiness and applies that to us as Christians? But the New Testament is very clear. We're not under those food laws anymore. And yet, and yet the New Testament writers see a word of God for us in that chapter. And First uh, Corinthians 5, uh, Paul picks up in verse 13, this is the case of the person uh, committing incest, and he used to be expelled from the church. 
And Paul appropriates the language of the Old Testament where those who have committed egregious sins are to be put to death. But isn't it interesting that Paul, but Paul sees the word of God there, but he does, he's not arguing, well, we as Christians ought to put people to death, but that unrepentant sinners ought to be excluded from the community. So what I would want to suggest is when we actually look at the New Testament, it gives us a paradigm for how to preach and apply the Old Testament today. So circumcision, physical circumcision doesn't matter, but clearly circumcision of the heart by the Spirit still applies to us today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So use the New Testament as a guide for how to apply some of those Old Testament laws. Right, and therefore I think we get a paradigm even where we don't have explicit connections. Thank you very much, Professor Schreiner. This has been a helpful conversation, and I appreciate your time. Oh, thanks so much, Jonathan. It was great being with you. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast of placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's Church. Theology on the Go is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Our ministries include placefortruth.org, the Bible Study Hour with James Montgomery Boyce, and events such as the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology and various Reformation societies. To learn more about the Alliance, visit alliancenet.org or call 800-488-1888. Just for listening, we'd like to equip you with free resources. Visit placefortruth.org to find a link to those resources. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.